Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Alan Robinson, Managing Director of Vet Dynamics UK, a company with a mission to help independent veterinary practices succeed. Alan, hello. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the program today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? That's an interesting question, Matthew. It's been a changing dynamic. I've been working in this business now for nearly 30 years, um, and it's always been driven by leadership, working with leaders in, in small businesses, segment practices, as you say, um, and it's been a changing dynamic. The the new world we see ourselves in has changed dramatically from sort of focus on things like economics and competition and um technological changes to really where we need to focus on leadership in terms of connection and culture and empathy and people because the problems we're being presented with these days are just not simple linear solution focused problems anymore they're, they're full of volatility and uncertainty and I think the leaders of this world need a improved capacity new skills maybe that has not been developed through traditional leadership training of dealing with what we call wicked problems, or as Simon Sinek would call them, the infinite game that we're playing of um, contradictory changing requirements that just don't have a solution. It's all about managing the polarities we find ourselves in. What sort of uh, leadership style do you exhibit on a day-to-day basis? Um, Looking into this, since you've asked for this podcast, that's been an interesting question I've had to ask myself. And um, I think I reflect back on a collaborative, um, inclusive uh, style. Um, there's a new theme out there that's sort of moving from the hierarchical structures. And, and to put a bit of context to this, I'm quite fortunate that I have fairly free autonomy in my own business because it's the business I own and run. Um, therefore, I'm freer to do these things. But it's a sort of a holocratic mode of actually giving people outcomes, giving people resources, giving people timelines, and then expecting results to come back from that. And so it's probably a, um, a fairly easy collaborative way of working. Um, it's worked well for us. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is that the businesses I work with are very much embedded in older style hierarchical working. Mm-hmm. Um, so try to lead my own business example, but I also try and work with other practices by the same example. Now, of course, uh, one of the uh, main uh, aspects of being a leader within business is leading people. Now, uh, as we all know, human beings are uh, not infallible and they have all their own foibles and sometimes they're not at their best. When there are issues that arise within the workplace, how do you handle them? People are a messy business, that's for sure. And I think um, dealing with that side of it is probably the biggest challenge for any leader in any business. And this is what I'm saying about probably a new view on, on skill set because I think we can distinct from leadership from management. Management is really about systems and processes, getting tasks done, getting efficiently and done. Whereas, as you quite rightly say, leadership is more about the vision, the inspiration, the momentum, and, of course, that completely involves people getting them engaged. I would say the biggest missing part from the workplace 
particularly in, in, the, in the healthcare professions that we work within, it, it's uh, people engagement in, in the veterinary profession itself. We have a particular um, problem of disengagement, burnout, mental health, and suicide um, in the business. And so a lot of our work now is just helping leaders manage and maintain themselves in a very difficult uh, situation. Back to the question, how do I deal with that? Um, again, it's this collaborative, inclusive approach. It's probably a mindset around thinking about people as an asset rather than a problem to be solved, uh, giving people as much leeway and direction as possible. But it comes back to as long as they're not stressed, as long as they're enjoying work, as long as they see some sense of purpose, they're improving what they're doing, and they have a degree of autonomy, I think people can deliver the best that they've got. Um, but people aren't always at their best. Now, I'd like to circle back for just a moment, and it, it, it may be skewing a little bit away from leadership, but you did mention uh, about suicide within the veterinary industry. Is that a rising problem? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, there's lots of factors involved with this. The veterinary situation has its own specific uh, view of the world. We're a healthcare profession. We're very prone to um, compassion fatigue is one thing we put a lot into our clients. We put a lot into pet care itself, um, very giving people. Um, unfortunately, because of vets choose their career at a very young age, a lot of veterinary surgeons choose to be vets at ages 10 and 11. You know, right. That's their sort of aspiration all their life. They choose this pathway. And, of course, what the veterinary profession is, is shrouded in is, a, is, is the myths around what vets do and how they do it. So we have a sort of sense of, we do it for the animals, not for the money. But of course, as soon as we step into a business, we're in a commercial environment and there's an immediate conflict, one of these wicked problems I talk about it. Another one is that people expect veterinary care to be free, a bit like the NHS, or they don't like to pay for it because it's just an expensive business. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to provide that level of healthcare. So again, there's a, that commercial social contract of, well, you're a vet, you should do this for your love animals. Why are you charging me? That's another thing that comes up. Then within the day-to-day Young vets, really, that probably haven't always learned the social skills. And, you know, we can talk about millennials and all sorts of things that way, but it's more generalized than that. Um, but they haven't come in with the social and interpersonal skills to deal with constant and repetitive conflict, emotional conflict, financial conflict. Um, things die, things get ill, things don't get better. And then they've got, of course, within their own businesses, managing, working within teams as well. Um, and these things create a fairly difficult work environment. Now, adding to that an interesting fact that vets, obviously, we have the capability of ending life in our patients if it's welfare reasons we can actually euthanize. The vets have a perception of death as an exit strategy, and we also have the access to the resources to it as well. And those things add up to, um, in, in the veteran profession, up four times um, incidents in suicide rates above the normal general population. Um, and that's twice as high as um, veterans returning from battle zones, which is quite an interesting situation. Well, that is a very interesting uh, subject matter and, and I'd like to have you back on the program at some point in the near future to uh, go further in depth uh, on this uh, this issue, issue of mental health within uh, veterinary care. It's, uh, but the circle it's a huge ba- problem. The, but just to circle back uh, to leadership uh, here, um, 
Going back to the very beginning of your career, when you first entered the working world, was there any particular individual or a set of circumstances that really formed the way that you lead today? Um, I'm probably a little bit different from a lot of vets. Vets are very scientifically minded. We, we, we're very left-brained, if you want to put it that way. We're into science and we're into things. I was always being a little bit more big-picture thinking. So I, I've read a huge amount, and I've invested very, very deeply into personal development. I have a, a belief about leadership that you're only as good – your business is only as good as you are. So it's a, a personal drive to improve yourself. So some of the influences on that, I remember reading um, Ricardo Semler, uh, Maverick, way, way back in the 80s, 70s and 80s. Um, John Harvey Gaines was another one who, who, who impressed me. And then we sort of move on to things slightly more spiritual around M. Scott Peck, who wrote The Road Less Travel, um, Stephen Covey, of course. They're, they're all classics of the genre around that. Um, but, yeah, and, and then, of course, in the modern world, we've got the Richard Bransons, we've got the Steve Jobs, the classic icons of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, 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 I'm probably blessed in that I see leadership at the grassroots level in amongst my clients, um, in my own team, and working with a range of people. I'm always looking for that spark that people bring to that. Um, but like I said, it's just an investment in embedding myself in that whole world of, of business and, and leadership. Now, Alan, unfortunately, our time together is drawing very quickly to its close. But before I let you go, uh, what does the next 12 months have in store for Vet Dynamics UK? Um, we're, the veterinary profession, the other thing that's happening is a massive corporatization. So we've got uh, private equity money coming in, buying up veterinary practice. So the UK is the most highly corporatized veterinary um, industry in the world. We're about 70 to 80% corporatized at the moment. That's only happened over the last five to six years. Um, so we work primarily with independent practices. So our market has reduced immensely by about 80%, to be honest. Um, but within that, we're busier than ever. We've mm-hmm. gone from breadth to depth. We're actually going much deeper into issues of people we're working with. We're also globalizing. We're also now got clients in South Africa, UAE. We're just working in Australia at the moment. We've got plans for uh, New Zealand and, and Canada as well. So th- there's a massive need for what we do. And we just have our biggest problem is scaling that to, to supplying that need. So we're very, very optimistic. And our clients, are also very optimistic, which is great. Well, Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. And like I said, we'll have you back on the program at some point in the near future. Alan, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. It's been a pleasure. That was Alan Robinson, Managing Director of Vet Dynamics UK. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. 
So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the colour of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me. He graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, uh, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to 
been involved in my career in those early days were two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially myself and Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that 
someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, 
when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to come up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps... Uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke, and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact. The younger players coming in into the team laterally, um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, 
and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. Showed, the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more. And that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mindedness, uh, single mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, 
you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.